and you'll see me talk about it a lot of times on social media, performative solutions. We needed to know that they wanted to truly address the root cause, that they would be willing to see and care and listen to what their employees, their customers, their investors, and most importantly, their local community wanted and expected from them. Once we set these quote unquote boundaries, and I know that you and I have kind of talked about having personal boundaries. Well, the same thing goes, you know, in a business, we set these boundaries. We spent less time having to explain ourselves and pretty much convincing them why this was in their best interest. And we were able to just get down to it and actually start the works. This is Ricky, and you're listening to the Leadership, Equity, and Wellness Pod. Today's guest is Lorena Soriano. Lorena is a founder, community leader, keynote speaker, Forbes fellow, and passionately supports those changing the world for the better. As a CEO with clients located across the world, current Harvard graduate student focusing on corporate sustainability, and former participant in Microsoft for Startup Accelerator partner programs, She shares her point of view, opinion, and lessons learned on social media when it comes to corporate sustainability in science, tech, healthcare, and finance. She's currently obsessed with sustainability finance and the role it will play in our collective sustainable development journey. Lorena is your typical multi-passionate, optimistic friend and boardroom activist who believes in holding companies accountable while addressing corporate sustainability problems at their root. You can find her bouldering at a gym or exploring the beautiful Pacific Northwest when she's not in digital boardrooms supporting science and technology executives implement and drive organizational change management to aid in their company's transition to a socially responsible organization. Our recording starts now. Welcome. Thank you so much for joining me. So excited to be here today. So I'd love to talk about the first topic that you've so generously offered. It's on embedding social responsibility into a company's DNA. So on social media, you mention often that you help companies embed this into their DNA by focusing on organizational management. What does social responsibility mean and why is organizational management needed? Awesome. Thank you so much for asking this question. I love it. And you know what? I even had a journey, we'll call it that, at really learning what does social responsibility mean? Because if you look it up online, there's so many different answers. Plus, once you add the corporate part, even more than. But if you're starting at the very, very top, there's sustainability. And sustainability is actually made up of three components, which is environmental, social responsibility, and governance slash economy slash finance. Those kind of like get grouped through there. And corporate sustainability is exactly those three, but for corporations. Now at every point one, we specifically help science and tech companies embed socially responsible practices across the entire organization. And we accomplish this through organizational management. I know it sounds like a lot of jargon, but we'll break it down a little bit more. After we launched and actually started working with companies, we ended up adding governance as well. So not just social responsibility, since governance is the structure of a company, it's the practices and the processes for how it runs. 
which is usually dictated by the board and the C-suite. And I'm just going to preface that it's super important to know that because ultimately they are the ones governance will then feed into the environmental and the social responsible part. And in order to have true change within an organization, there needs to be buy-in from the board and from the C-suite. So this is that top-down approach. And a lot of times I will say that social responsibility can get confused with DEI the DEI work, but DEI should actually influence all aspects of corporate sustainability. So whether you're in environmental, like the environmental space, the socially responsible space or governance space, DEI work will influence those three. So that's how those go ahead and get separated. Well, thank you so much for explaining that to me and to the wider community. With your organization, I'm so curious about the conception of it. And as you're entering year four now, how have you iterated or pivoted? You are amazing with these questions. I love that you specifically said iterated and pivoted because we actually need to normalize and embrace this when it comes to startups and companies. Iteration and pivoting is not only part of the process, it's actually necessary. So let's just take a second and think about I mean, and I'm going to say, think about it, but I don't know the age exactly. If you're listening, you're going to hear these companies and you're going to be like, wait, I don't know them. Or I knew I heard about them at one point, but if we're thinking about iteration and pivoting, the companies that didn't do such a great job there is let's just say it, Blockbuster, Blackberry and Kodak. I actually think, um, I saw a meme that somebody was dressing up as a Blockbuster card where it's like, because it doesn't exist like for Halloween. And so there you go. These are perfect examples of companies that didn't embrace the iteration or the pivoting piece. And the cool part actually about iterating and pivoting is that it's just part of being a sustainable company. And to answer your question, we actually started our platform to help women of color in STEM enter the workforce. After launching and connecting women, we saw that we weren't really helping address this problem and that women and women of color were leaving the workforce at exponential rates. So, you know, great job. We were helping them, but we weren't really addressing the root cause. We pivoted to not only help this problem, but to really help companies be socially responsible throughout the entire organization. What I mean by that is that a lot of times companies will start their social responsibility slash DEI lens work in recruitment, which is 100% important. But unfortunately, a lot of the times the work tends to stop there. But it's also super important. How are companies retaining their employees? You know that they're working so hard, paying so much money to retain them. And as far as like EP1, EverPoint1, we do support as well marketing and customer experience. So let's take a second and just think it's not enough to go ahead and have diverse photography on your website. I'm sure so many of us that are out there listening, we've seen the websites, we've seen the photography, we either walk into the workplace or we walk into the school and you're like, huh, something is missing. Or one of these things is not like the other. And that's me. Why? Where's the representation? Or looking at it from a customer experience piece, what if a large part of the customers speak a different language and the product isn't serving them, you know? And another piece is product development and data ethics. That's one of the areas that we do approach where is your product accessible? And especially if you're in machine learning or AI, how can you work on reducing biases? And finally, like I mentioned earlier, we ended up adding the governance piece, which is so, so crucial because how will all of this work and how will leaders be supported in helping the company transition towards a sustainable economy 
and having socially responsible practices if they don't have that support from the top down. So long-winded way to say that we do so much more than just like the recruitment. And it started by us wanting to fix a small problem and really realizing that there's so much more to this problem. And the way that it will truly get adopted and fixed is by helping the company truly become socially responsible in all aspects of it. So that way there's no siloing that happens. Absolutely. And in the clients that you work with and the leaders that you address, I'm curious if you've ever navigated challenges in them welcoming you into the organization, but then posing as resistance to some of the ideas that you and your team have offered. I'm curious about how you've navigated that gracefully and authentically to every point one's mission. Thank you. And I wish that I could answer this by saying, no, there's been no resistance, but you know what, at the end of the day, the companies care, you know, about their mission, their vision, and they know how that works. They care about their customers, their employees, and us coming in there, you know, kind of like rocking the boat a little bit. It's like, whoa, hey, what's going on? So I wish that I could say no, that there hasn't been any resistance. There definitely has this journey, you know, we've had to iterate along the way, us as well, the way that our approach has been. So at first our approach, it was going above and beyond to educate clients on why this is even needed and you know why it's important to the longevity of the business. Once we saw how our product was actually helping companies and how crucial it is to have the buy-in from the C-suite and the board, then the transition became a little bit easier as far as like how we were working with them. And let's be real, we need to have the buy-in in order for this transformation to happen. Because at the beginning, VPs and managers were the ones that were bringing us in. They were so excited to help like mold, transition and develop their department. But if the buy-in wasn't there, you know, from the board and the C-suite, let's be real. At this point, the CFO was coming in and it's like, nope. You don't have the budget for that. So we weren't able to go ahead and actually fully help and support them, even though they wanted that. So that's when we knew, boom, let's go ahead and pivot. Let's iterate and let's start addressing it from the top down. So at this point, this is when we actually really started vetting our clients. We needed to vet them to ensure that they didn't want or expect a Band-Aid, or as we call them, and you'll see me talk about it a lot of times on social media, performative solutions. We needed to know that they wanted to truly address the root cause, that they would be willing to see and care and listen to what their employees, their customers, their investors, and most importantly, their local community wanted and expected from them. Once we set these quote unquote boundaries, and I know that you and I have kind of talked about having personal boundaries, well, the same thing goes, you know, in a business, we set these boundaries, we spent less time having to explain ourselves and pretty much convincing them why this was in their best interest. And we were able to just get down to it and actually start the work. So similar to how we have to set personal boundaries, you have to do that on the business side as well, where in the beginning, you're like, I just want to help everybody. But at the end of the day, you have to know that you're your partner, your business, you know, they're actually wanting to work with you. Absolutely. And given everything that you've just shared, where do you see the future of corporate sustainability going, especially for STEM companies? I love, love, love this question because anything where it's about planning and thinking about the future, that's a big reason as far as like what molds the work that we do. So when it comes to the future of what that might look like, I first actually see companies under 
understanding the importance of DEI. And remember, we mentioned that DEI is different from social responsibility. So they'll have a good understanding and they'll know that it's DEI is important. I then go ahead and see them hiring a DEI manager or a DEI officer. This did happen in 2020. There's a lot of articles that are out there that say that a lot of companies have actually let go of these positions, but I do see it specifically for STEM, them seeing the importance of this. From there, I see that since majority of STEM companies are investors and private equity backed, there is going to be a lot of ESG metrics, which ESG is environmental, social, and governance metrics that they're going to have to subscribe to and adopt. The reason for this is Anybody that's in the investor community, if they're looking to invest into a sustainable, socially responsible company, they look to ESG. And there's so many different platforms out there, which that's a whole nother topic that we can definitely jump on another call with to talk about what works, what doesn't. But I next see that there's that they're going to subscribe to the ESG metrics. And after ESG, I see the true transition towards a sustainable economy, which is where we want to be. And that means that the decisions that are being made are not just driven from a financial perspective, that it's truly going to be the holistic approach of embracing and combining environmental, social, governance, and financial. So I'm so excited and I can't wait, you know, like I'd love for us to either, who knows at that point in the metaverse, jump on a digital happy hour and we can toast and cheers to us being at that stage. <laughs> With the vision that you've cast for the future, you also hand in hand talk on social media about demanding these changes in the corporations and that you're a boardroom activist. What do you mean by that? And can you tell me a little bit more about it? Yeah, definitely. So traditionally, let's just start off. I love that, by the way, we're, we're, we're breaking down what the jargon means here. You know, we talked about the ESG, we talked about social responsibility, let's talk about activism. So traditionally, an, an activist was seen as somebody who sometimes chained themselves to historical buildings or trees, you know, and protests of preserving them. And heck, even today, most recently, we had Just Stop Oil activists gluing themselves to museum walls and throwing food at renowned pieces of art in the demand of the UK government halting future licensing for the exploration, development, and production of oil and gas. So traditionally, this is a type of activist that we're used to, right? As a boardroom activist, I work with the C-suite in the boardroom and with investors to ensure that a company is considering the voices of the employees, of their customers, and of their communities as we're building socially responsible practices to help them create and develop and implement for their company. So this is, you know, it's great that they're building socially responsible practices, but they have to have the lens of these stakeholders, you know, that are out there. And so as a boardroom activist, that is what I do. Hey, have you considered this? What about this? Have you thought about this? And bringing all of those voices, especially the, you know, the traditional activists that are out there, but in the boardroom. So it still is advocating. And as we're talking about advocating, I do want to share a tweet that I saw most recently by Professor Sunny Singh, who is a professor of creative writing and inclusion in the arts at London Metropolitan University. And her tweet said, PSA, an activist is merely a person who does not like the world as it is and tries to do something to change it. Given the unfolding devastation around us, may more of us be activists. So 
you can be an activist by just, you know, protesting and demanding change, whether it's you are out there and you are picking up trash, showing your community that this is how we are demanding our change. You know, you're writing letters, you're posting tweets, you're helping educate, disseminate inf information, you're in the boardroom. So we can demand change in so many different ways, personally, just because of the work that I do and the type of network that I have and the companies that I'm in, you know, virtually every day. This is the type of activism that I'm doing just because let's be real, we only have so many hours in a day and we can't be like doing it 24 seven because at the end of the day, we're going to run dry. Our, our, our tank, you know, is going to run on empty and we won't be able to continue this work. Absolutely. And with our tanks potentially running empty, you've definitely mentioned activism burnout in your posts as well. And I'd love to unpack that with you further. Can you tell me and us how you've navigated that, especially because all of these topics that you've mentioned are so important, but we need to make sure that our cup isn't running dry. Okay, I have mentioned to you on social media and even us like before jumping on here today, I seriously love that your podcast addresses this approach. Like, to the work that we're doing, similar to how activism can be tied to everything that we do, well-being goes hand in hand. And sometimes when you're just focused on just like the activism or just like, heck, even your nine to five, which sometimes some of us, like we may treat it as nine to nine, you do run on empty. On empty. So activism burnout is a hundred percent real and add this to another topic of something else that we need to normalize the conversation around. But for me specifically, I started noticing this towards the end of 2021. At this point, I had been doing this specific work for a whole year where it was focusing on AI and AI powered companies. And every day I was reading or working on headlines that read something like racism embedded in US healthcare, twice as many false positives for recidivism for black offenders and white offenders, or Amazon ditched AI recruiting tools that favored men for technical jobs. And then from there, we were working on product design and development with companies. And so those headlines, it was women are 73% more likely to be injured in a car crash than men. Women representing 5% of practicing industrial engineers, 5%. And then clinical trials having far too little racial and ethnic diversity. I was stressed out and had so much anxiety wondering why people and companies just didn't quote unquote get it. That if we didn't change our way of doing things, we were all just going to be doomed. And specifically for me, talk therapy has been the best. It's allowed me to explain my fears. And notice that I emphasize explain because it's not just sharing, but it's, I talk about all the time, getting to the root cause. So explaining what those fears are, but what really has helped me out is also mentioning the good things that are happening. So a lot of times we can definitely enter saying, oh, well, ABC, XYZ, one, two, three, five, six, seven, these are all of the wrong things, but we have to definitely take a moment and enjoy and celebrate the little wins that are happening because those little wins are chipping away at all of the bad things. And it actually also helps when people in this space are open and they talk about this. Most recently, um, Celine Simon, who's the founder of Slow Factory, opened up about this on Instagram. She is, I know she doesn't label herself as an activist. I definitely consider her a boardroom activist through and through, but it shouldn't take an activist 
getting to this point for change to happen in society. It, it really shouldn't, it should be that we're listening. And that's one of the things that companies, you know, they, they have to go ahead and they listen to the stakeholders that are out there and us as well. You know, you having this podcast where we're able to share the best practices or even share the bad things that have happened. And, you know, hopefully my tips are just knowing that this has happened to me. If somebody's out there and they're experiencing this, they're like, dang, okay, well, it's not just me. So normalizing this number one and talking about it. Yeah. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for sharing, especially about normalizing talk therapy, because that's something that I talk about on my platform and normalizing that particularly for international students, first-gen students for whom it may not have been a piece of their culture or even acceptable to dip their toe into this world, but to think of it as this immensely powerful tool to then help them navigate all of these other things that they're deeply passionate about is such a strong message, particularly coming from you. And I'd love to touch on this last question that I have for you um, in terms of boardroom activism and how you've been able to communicate that through social media and share what you're doing day to day on social media so that you can bring other people along, you can teach them online. What have you learned about the best ways of communicating these messages that are often heftier than a 15 second video to the masses? What has helped you in sort of unpacking that and bridging all of these ideas together? Thank you for this question, because I will even share, I am going through this journey at the moment right now, trying to figure out what the best way is. And I've struggled with my relationship with social media, where I originally got on social media because I had left corporate America and I wanted to pursue my childhood dream of being a scientist and a doctor. So when I started, I was going through my biochemistry degree, just sharing. I still remember there's some posts probably like what is it not bookmarked, but archived, um, where it's like me doing some like tests and analysis and just like explaining, because I figured if I was able to explain it in a short caption and meant that I understood it, hello, Einstein quoting you here. Um, (laughs) but I've transitioned so much, you know, with my social media to launching a company to now being in the space. And then heck, even 2020, I knew that it was all about demanding change. Employees have the power to demand change. So that's when I kind of started like talking about this. But right now at the moment, like you said, they might, these messages might be too long for just 15 second bites. Right. And so I've gone through where, and I will say this was during the time that I was having my activism burnout, the world is on fire. It's coming to an end where it's more like, why are you people not getting it? And so I read an Adam Grant book, which was called think again, or I listened to it. Then I got it and reread it. And he constantly talks about the way that you deliver a message and you have to, it has to resonate with your audience. So the biggest thing that did help me as far as like turning it more into a positive versus just like, come on, get the picture. It was, Hey, can you imagine this? Or what would the world look like if this, and that's when people then start putting in their own two cents, because they may not reply or they may not respond, or they may not make their own posts, but they will stop and they will think about it. And so that's, that's specifically what has helped me there. And TikTok, which I just recently got into, they allow you to actually post longer videos, which I think Instagram recently changed. And 
that's what I do. I said, if maybe at least twice a week, I can take max an hour because let's be real. It does take a while to like compile all this information, check your resources. I will take max like an hour to go ahead and put like the longer educational like videos. And what's great is it lets me look at the positives, which I mentioned earlier. We want to look at the wins. You look at also the state of the world, what is happening or specifically for this space, and then you get to present it. So sometimes, you know, they take off other times. It doesn't at the end of the day, I say, as long as I'm number one, myself understanding this two sharing it, where if it even helps one person, that is amazing. And at the end of the day, this information will be on there, similar to how if somebody reaches out and they say, Hey, I'd love to learn more about your story, your journey, I can give them, you know, the different podcasts that I've been on or the inner the interviews that I've been featured on this, where it's, Hey, you know, you know, we talked about this, here's this great, like Instagram post or and it's like a minute long and then more than happy, you know, to talk deeper about it after you kind of like catch up, you know, at that point. And so that's great that that exists right there. And the best thing is, let me tell you, community starts to form. I now have been meeting so many amazing women, I will say from across the pond, because that's where a lot of this corporate sustainability, like ESG work is heavily adopted at this point compared to the U.S., and I'm making these relationships where at this point, like I'm introducing them to my clients, they're introducing me to their clients. And it is great where we're all just like working and collaborating together. The number one thing that I will say is make sure that you do vet your sources because misinformation can cause a great deal of harm, especially in this space where like things are happening so fast. And then finally, like policy and regulation is catching up, but put yourself out there. And a lot of times, like don't expect for it to be perfect get comfortable with the whole being imperfect because I still remember the first video that I posted I was like oh my gosh what was I thinking and you learn and that's the thing you can iterate and pivot once you actually take that first step I agree and you learn constantly and that is such an important message to just put yourself out there because you just don't know where your message energy and efforts will take you and I'm so grateful that you shared this because it's definitely a message that I've needed to hear time and time again and I'd love to transition to our last topic which is your flex schedule life and you've been such a big proponent of the four-day work week I'd love to know more about what an average day looks like for you as you balance work and school and life and climbing of course Thank you. Well, I know we've said it so many times on this episode already, iterating, iterating and pivoting. And I will say this surprisingly compared to like the corporate work that I do has actually taken a lot more like iteration and pivoting, maybe because I'm ultimately the one driving the wheel on here. So I will preface this that it will not be perfect and don't expect it to. So if it changes, it changes for you, but get your pen and paper ready because I'm totally opening up about this. So whatever works for you, take it. What doesn't like leave it to the side. But yes, as you mentioned, I have practiced the four day work week and I've actually been doing this for a little bit over a year and a half before I'll say it came cool. Just kidding. No, there, there were like so many people like doing this for many years and I definitely have reached out to them and gotten tips from them. But it started for me specifically because after a semester of juggling grad school, 
while launching a startup, I knew that something had to change. And I did four day work weeks, which for me at that time was perfect. We always joke about on social media, how the weekend needs a third day, one weekend, you know, one for weekend activities, one for chores slash errands, and one for just doing nothing, you know, Netflix and Hulu, anyone. However, Earlier this year, after taking a whole month off in May, I will repeat this, after taking a whole month off in May and getting back into working out, I realized two things. One, work will always be there. Take a vacation and take a time off. Like the world will not come down to an end because you don't reply back to that email. You don't get that assignment or you don't get, you know, that project turned in right when it needs to. Yes, there will be repercussions, but just know the world still exists. And I cannot, I cannot squeeze in a week or even half a week worth of workouts into the additional third day. It is just not productive, you know? And I know that you can say, oh, we'll just do it after work. No, I'm, I know the things that I want to do. And so this is pretty much how the flex schedule came for me. I iterated and I tried it out. So this is where I say pen and paper, because it's, I'm going to break it down here. Now on average, my average day will actually be very different every day. And you're like, how are they going to take notes on this? But this is what has worked for me. I actually have no meetings on Monday and Friday. So these are my ultimate flex days where really anything can happen as long as the work gets done. I have my meetings Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, where I make time for morning European calls because that's where most of our clients are at. And I know that that's a non-negotiable. So I have to have my mornings open. And on Monday... Wednesday and Friday, I will usually note what I'm saying in the middle of the day, take time to do a two hour Pilates workout. And after doing a two hour workout, I'm going to go and head to the studio and do like either some red light body therapy or an infrared wellness pod, because that to me is like a piece of wellness. And I'm looking into my future as well. From there, I will head home. I'm going to shower. I'm going to have lunch take some time for puppy scritches and then get back to work. And the best part is that I have actually rearranged my schedule multiple times and my work schedule around the Pilates instructors classes that I want to attend. So yes, if you are a potential client or an existing client that's out there and you're like, why is Lorena not available from this time? Well, now, you know, it's because your girl's probably doing some Pilates classes and taking some time for well-being. And I will religiously climb on Sunday, Tuesday, and Thursday after my grad school lectures because I I'll be honest I get tired of just being in front of the computer for two hours and just listening and taking notes my professors are great and they give us like five to ten minute breaks like in the middle but it still is so much where you're just like hyper focused so like I said it's different every day I've at this point it's taken me a while to figure out what works best for me but I prioritize my well-being before the work that needs to happen why because work will always be there, but that missed workout, I feel it the next day or that missed like nap. So whatever activities are important, right? Yes. I feel this so deeply. (laughs) And I think sort of pitching in with a little bit of what I'm navigating currently is that I, in my new grad life, finally figured out, or so I thought the workouts that really worked for me and the schedule that really worked for me. But again, on the topping up, topic of pivoting and iterating, I have learned that there's this gap in my day when I hit a wall at 3 p.m., but the scheduled workouts I have are usually at 5.30 p.m., and I have a flex schedule. I work remotely. I have this great team behind me that understands and encourages the well-being piece, but I personally wasn't 
looking into the Pilates instructors or the different times that different folks were available or unavailable because the gym and the classes had more rigidity than I expected. And so what that meant for me was using some of the free coaching resources at work to realize that I needed to use ClassPass. And I've still to bite the bullet on that because I have some upcoming travel and then international travel coming up where maybe my membership will be a bit disjointed. But that midday walk or the workout that is felt in the productivity of my work in being able to be clear headed and sharp and analytical and all the good things you'd want a STEM professional to be that is missing if the workout is missed so I really appreciate this message thank you Yeah. And you know what? I mentioned taking that whole month off in May and I looked into ClassPass and I'm not sure where you're traveling, but ClassPass is international as well, which is amazing. And so you said it right there. You specifically said, which by the way, I love that you're sharing so much more on this. At 3 p.m., you hit the lull. I, prior to having the schedule, I would hit the lull at 2 p.m., and granted, I am somebody who does not do coffee. I'll do coffee just sometimes. Like, and when I say coffee, it's like a soy chai tea latte, which is not real coffee. I was like, what the heck is going on? And so now I've learned to embrace, like, if my body feels a nap, I will do the nap. I know how I feel after the workout. And so I'll go to the workout. And then afterwards, I'm like, yes, Lorena, thank you. Thank you, Lorena, from two o'clock for pushing us and getting us here. But it's knowing that. And And you know what, something that we do not talk about often is that everybody has different schedules. I am truly a morning person. My husband is a night owl. He does his best thinking come like 9 p.m. Something like for him clicks and it turns on. I am like that at 5, 6 a.m. And so I wish that schools and workplaces like embrace that. I love that you have a flex schedule and you're able to explore that and a lot. A lot of times, like specifically as a new grad student, you sometimes think, okay, nine to five, nine to five, I have to commit to that. But all that matters is just that the work gets done. And something that it took me a while, and actually I will say a long time to understand and no longer feel guilty is moving my schedule where I used to be available for calls Monday through Friday. And then I remember when I took Friday off and Monday through Thursday, I felt so guilty just because the Friday was no longer there. And then I learned that no Monday, like anything that some somehow like does not get done like the week prior or setting myself up for success for that week, or even the week after no calls. And I am actually so much more productive that way, because I now know these are my two like protected days. I have my calls and I will sometimes like even overbook myself like Wednesday, Thursday or Monday or sorry, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, because those are the only calls days. And so it lets me kind of keep the same mind frame, like knowing, okay, I'm jumping from a call to a call to a call versus like having them like spread out all over and specifically just for me, that's what works. So thank you so much for sharing that. I agree. Yeah. And I think something else that I wanted to pitch in with for the new grads is that prior to graduating, I realized this about myself where I knew that I needed this flexibility and some people prefer the rigidity. It helps keep, uh, keep them accountable. But for me, I needed a softer, more compassionate approach to my personal hours or energy. And 
to know that the work would get done no matter what, but how and where was important to me personally. So despite being an international student with such few places that I could work at, I still took it upon myself to interview all the, I say interview in air quotes. I had these discussions, these informational interviews with all of my potential managers to ask them about what their expectations were. And some of them were really open about being more rigid and some of them were unsure and some of them talked about how they loved going to a workout class themselves um, in the middle of the day and that they would absolutely encourage it. And so what's so interesting to me in my experiences is that sometimes you grads are so focused on getting a job that these conversations and that intentionality is missing, but then it's felt by them in the third month or the fourth month in where they're now suddenly looking for their next job. And all of that heartache and all of the commitments to maybe signing bonuses that have to be honored um, or monetary ties to just your role can be really avoided if those conversations are had in advance. And this is just from my personal experiences of now uh, mentoring or peer mentoring others who are even in my age group who are really struggling with this concept of perhaps wanting to embrace this flex work life, but their employers being more rigid about it and them not knowing that this was an option that they could have embraced in corporate. So I really love this topic. Thank you so much for all the content that you produce online touching on it, especially from your lens of social responsibility. Thank you. And just if you don't mind me adding something else to that piece where, yes, you can 100% negotiate this. And just like you said, I freaking love this. You vet and you interview potential employers. A lot of times we think it's just the one way, but no, it is definitely the other way as well. And you know what? Let's go ahead and acknowledge there might be, there is some privilege like to that where it's okay. I can afford to pass on this job versus like another waiting for that right one versus just having to take the one that's presented, you know, to you. And sometimes let's just say if you have to take that job and hey, you did a great job mentioning where it's, you might be tied to that company, you know, because of signing bonuses or the commitment or because there's a school allowance or something like that. You need to prioritize. What is important to you? Is it having the job? Is it having the title? Is it having the schedule? Is it having the money that comes with it? You know? And so maybe if flex like doesn't come at the top, then just know that it doesn't need to prioritize what works for you at this point I always make the joke that if you know because companies do reach out and they're like can you be our corporate sustainability officer I'm still at the moment enjoying working with so many companies but I said if I ever make the decision to go you know I'll say commit to one company because right now I love working with so many I need that flex life and I need them to embrace it not where it's a one-off just for me but because that's a priority for me now, you know, that'll probably be even higher than just like what a company will pay you because I now know that that is like my well-being and I'm paying into, you know, that tank and I'm filling it up. So yeah, thank you for allowing me to share on that. (laughs) Yes. So I'd love to jump into some rapid fire questions to wrap up if that's all right with you. And the first one is what does wellness mean to you? Being authentic means a balanced life that you can show up authentically as yourself. 
What does effective leadership mean to you? One that strives for long-term value creation. And that means that they have their eye on the big picture and they understand that it's more than just financial to get there. Remember, we mentioned that earlier. And it's also environmental and it's social. So decisions that they're making with the big picture, not just this is something I needed like three months ago or yesterday or tomorrow, the big picture. That's an effective leader for me. Tell me about your morning and night routines that sandwich your day and what helps you bounce back if you ever fall off track? So my morning routine is one that I know a lot of people don't recommend. So for me, I definitely will check my social media first thing in the morning because I have spent a great amount of time curating it. And it is full of number one, amazing women in STEM that are accomplishing great things and they're sharing their story. So that hypes me up and pumps me up for the day. And it's also full of quotes that inspire and motivate me first thing in the morning. So I know a lot of people say, don't do social media. I will say eight years ago, I got off of Facebook because of that reason. It was all like negative, negative, negative. However, I spent the time on my social media Instagram curating that. And as far as bouncing back, we talked about that, a workout, a workout and talking will always do the trick. And most importantly, sharing my goals with my teammates, my loved ones, that will actually help me because I definitely love having like an accountability buddy where you just check in and I love, Hey, I did this or, Hey, we tackled that. And at night it is the complete opposite. I totally embrace just the whole like relaxing evening and I know you're not watching a video, but I've even put like my hands together because it's meditation is one of the things that I do. And then stretches, um, the older you get, I will say this, your body does not feel exactly like it did 10 years ago, especially me that adds like climbing, which is bouldering with no rope. So like the impact, so stretch, stretch, stretch as somebody who was a cheerleader in high school, did soccer and took all of this for granted. I am definitely like feeling this so stretch at night please if not throughout the day <laughs> I love that thank you so much for sharing so I would love to know if there's anything else that you'd like to share anything that you felt like was missing from the topics that we discussed well you did a great job covering everything I feel like we definitely had a holistic approach to just our conversation but a piece of advice that I would always share with anybody and everybody is to dream bigger if you think maybe, I don't know, let's just say a seven is like the biggest number that it can be, or heck, even like a 5,000 blah, 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 super huge number. It can be so much bigger and better than you imagined. But remember, just start because once you start, you learn and you iterate and you pivot and it can always be bigger. Earlier, I talked about how we address all aspects of the entire corporation. I still remember that day where I was sitting in my office just thinking, I know that just focusing on recruitment is not the way that this, that companies are going to actually like advance and move forward. But who am I to think that I can help lead them through the entire organization, like now to a sustainable economy. And the more that I reflect back on that day, I am so glad that I did it because we've even pivoted and grown since then. So dream big and just know that you can accomplish it. And if you don't, you will iterate and pivot and it'll be even bigger and better than you imagined. Absolutely. And I think that this is the message that everyone needs is just to start because you don't know where it's going. And I feel that deeply with 
the blogs I've started, the social media creation, even the podcast, where it's important for me to just show up in even in a scrappy way, no matter what it looks like, just to be there. Because once it's started, then as you said, you can edit and make it better and make it grow. So thank you so much for joining me. I appreciate your time so, so much. Thank you. So happy to be here. And thank you for all the work that you do. Thank you so much for listening to the Leadership Equity and Wellness Pod by Ricky Roy. If you enjoyed listening to this episode, please leave me a review and follow me at Ricky Roy on Instagram and at Ricky underscore Roy on TikTok. Thank you so much for spending this time growing with me. Until next time, take care of yourself.